made my first million dollars, had a million dollars cash at 26 years old, and I still felt poor then. You swapped a negative addiction, positive addiction with that. A hundred percent. I don't do anything less than 110%. I'm all in, which I don't think there's anything wrong with. No, I think with. it's fucking good thing, but I think this yeah. is the problem with the world. Everyone's like, oh, you fucking work too much. You're fucking obsessed. You Mind your fucking business. How about that? Anyone who's really fucking good at anything has to be obsessed yeah. and super dedicated. Today is going to be an absolute blast. This is like Christmas, Hanukkah, and New Year all come together. So oh, yeah. today we've got a very special guest, uh, Mr. Eric Spofford, all the way from Miami. So Eric's background, you went from drug addict to being arrested, I think, 10 years old then building drug rehab clinics, which you've then yep. sold and exited. How much did you exit those for? $115 million back in 2021. Which gives some perspective of why we're having the conversation today and talking yeah. about business. Because, no doubt. Uh, you've been there and you've done that. Where do you think was a pivotal moment to you saw like an opportunity in terms of like building that business you built? Did you plan, like, did you have like a vision in your head when you saw it at the start, this is where it was going to go? I had no idea in the beginning. But I think one thing that's important is I've always been... A, a practitioner of deals, an entrepreneur from a very young age. I was the kid with the lemonade stand selling baseball cards, you know, which then, you know, given my background with addiction and crime prior to changing my life, turned into drug dealing and all of that stuff. And so then when I got sober and changed my life 17 years ago and I got involved in the recovery scene, it was only a natural kind of path that I was like, all right, now let me figure out how to monetize this. Let mm -hmm. me figure out how to help people and which I'm passionate about and turn it into a business. And so I started my company in 2008. I was 23 years old and it was a very small part-time thing. I was working a construction job, cutting down trees for a living and started a a men's sober house and so a place where people recovering from addiction would come and live and they paid me by the week i lived there for the first two years and that was the birth of the business did i understand where it would end up or have this master plan no not not even remotely close i figured that out along the way there's several there's several like key points in in that thing where my kind of eyes opened up and i was like Oh, okay, I should do that. And then I went and built it. And then once I got there, I was like, oh, I should do that. And then the goal just became this monstrous thing in my head about 2014. I was like, I want to build the largest continuum of care addiction treatment business that exists in the New England states. And so the Northeast region of America. And people thought every, every, every point in this, people thought I was insane. They thought I was totally just a lunatic, right? They're like, what are you talking about? And then I did it. I just doubled down and, you know, it was sleepless nights. It was worrying about how to make payroll. It was painting the walls myself. It was, it was everything, but we built it. And by 2016, we were the largest collection of treatment facilities in that area. Do you it think- It became a big business. Yeah, I've, clearly. Do you think yeah. um, having a business plan is a mistake people try and make at the beginning? They try and plan things out maybe too methodically, whereas like you said and what I've done, everything just sort of evolved, it's gone along. I've seen like an opportunity, I've just done it, an people, opportunity, I've done it. You know, I don't know if having a business plan is a mistake. I think having a general plan is pretty good, mm. right? I look at my businesses and my initiatives now. I have business plans mm. I'm executing against. I know where I'm going with a general reason. I think that people get stuck in that part of the process 
and they overplan and they just need to pivot into execution and action. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 100%. it's you could sit there and have, you know, whiteboard sessions and business plans and presentations and PowerPoints and talk about it and, you know, socialize the idea with your community and do all this stuff. At a certain point, you have to go to fucking work. Like, just get up off your ass and move. And I think a lot of people just don't really understand that concept. And that's why they never really gain full traction. Like, when I look at that, the one thing, the one characteristic that I think is incredibly important if you're going to have fast-paced growth in business is you have to be fearless. You have to look at it. There's never going to be a perfect scenario. It's never going to be perfect circumstances. It's you have to look at it and go and just trust on yourself like, I'll figure it out. Are there going to be problems? Absolutely. I'll figure it out when I get there. Full scent. Let's go. And so that's what it was. It was all gas. It was... It was you know, I talk about in my content all the time how hard entrepreneurship really is because the growth of that business, I was constantly just getting my ass kicked and like figuring it out. Like if you're not willing to get punched in the face repetitively, go home, sleep it off, wake up in the morning, throw a smile on your face and be excited to do it again, this game ain't for you. One of the things you, I heard you say in a story that I didn't fucking loved it was um, business is a sport. What's your perspective on that? I think that business is a competitive combat sport. Um, I consider myself a business athlete, right? People are like, Eric, you made so much money. Why are you doing this again? Well, I don't need another super. I don't need another Super Bowl ring, but I fucking want one. And I just love the process. I love the competition. Um, I love the athleticism too. And I call it a combat sport because I just constantly draw these analogies to the fight game, right? I'm a big enthusiast of boxing, of MMA. I love the mindset. I love that it's a sport of solidarity, right? You have to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. No one gets in that ring with you. No one builds this business with you. You're surrounded by trainers and nutritionists and supportive people. But at the end of the day, motherfucker, it's on you. And and it's competitive. Like, you... you getting up at four in the morning training like if you're going to have a champion mindset a champion mindset in the fight game you have to outwork everybody in in my arena my business believe it or not addiction treatment was highly competitive it's not like i was the in a blue ocean i was out there competing with a lot of other people and so you you have to outperform everybody and so it really is. It's just a sport. You have to train. And, and people think it's like a hobby or an avocation or 40 or 50 hours a week. Like the ones that are going to make it, like arguably in the world of business, having a nine-figure exit is essentially winning a world championship. There's very few of us. It's a small club. And so I'm proud to have that, not because of the, you know, I made all this money. I, don't, I, I honestly don't really even care about the money anymore. I love the achievement. I love the trophy. And I love the game and I love the process. And so for me, it's just, you know, it's for a love of the game. If it was about the results, I could go home and never do another fucking thing again. I could have done that two years ago. But I'm 16 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, because it's for a love of the game. It's about the process, not the prize. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You have to love it. Excuse me. You have to love it. Do you think that entrepreneurship gets overly glamorized in some respects and that's why some people try and get into and like fuck me this is much harder than I thought and then just fold I just made a post about that yeah absolutely I think that that entrepreneurship is glamorized I think that they that people generally talk about it like it's easy um 
And it's not. One of the things that's overlooked is the majority, it's like 90-something percent of businesses fail within the first five years. Like, this is hard. It's not easy. The winning is sweet. The winning, mm -hmm. the results, the path to, like, to being able to ring that bell when you get there, it's unbelievable. There's nothing else like it. But if you start at the same time with a bunch of entrepreneurs, in five years, there's only going to be a very few of you still around and successful that have made it because it's difficult. It's just very challenging. That's a really good question. So you, let's say you've got 100 entrepreneurs and in five years' time, there's only three standing. What, what are the common characteristics and traits you see in those three people who are still crushing it in five years' time? Resilience. Resilience is absolutely key for being in business because you're just going to get your ass kicked every single day. And like I said, you have to be able to wake up, put a smile on your face and do it again. Humility. A lot of people get crushed in business because of their own ego. They come in and I could see him. I'll sit in a room and go, this guy is, he's fucked because he's the smartest guy in the room. I can tell the entrepreneurs, I believe that I can tell the entrepreneurs that are actually going to succeed and make it because they're sitting there and you put them in any room and they're quiet and they ask the most questions. And that takes humility, right? Where you see other people come in and they have these large egos and they're more concerned with impressing the room and showing off what they already know. Well, how much value did you derive from getting in this room? None. None. What? Oh, you, you impressed other entrepreneurs? No one cares, right? And so having the humility, uh, which I think humility is directly attached to something else that I preach about, which is constantly being a student of the game. Like, if you're not ready to learn, learning information and action and execution to break through to that next level, because if you're not growing, you're dying, then you're going to get stuck and you're going to get eliminated, and so just constantly being obsessively learning. And that's podcasts like this, that's YouTube videos, that's internet research, that's books, that's courses, that's seminars, that's mentorship, that's coaching. One of the things that people don't see behind the curtain of what made me, I'm a 15-year-old high school dropout. I don't have a GED. I've never been back since I was 15 years old. I've never back in, been back in like an academic classroom. I'm one of the most educated people I know. I have spent millions and millions. Harvard grads pull up. I'm like, brother, I've spent so much more on my education than you ever did. You have no idea. Like advisors, mentors, coaches, masterminds, just all of that stuff. That's the stuff that's going to continue to drag you up and bring you to the next level. I agree 100%. One of my favorite sayings is a um, genius doesn't have great answers. He asks great questions. Oh, I love that. Because it's like, I love that. I've always been like the quiet and like annoying person who just fucking hammers people with questions. Because yeah. I just want to like, like today, I want to extract information of like the wealth of experience you 100%. have. 100%. What you mentioned learning is obviously one of the core things in those like people being successful. What do you do in terms of learning now or what you may be doing in terms of like building the mammoth business you had previously? It, it's I'm doing the same thing I've always done. I'm constantly in research mode and I'm pretty I'm pretty um, flexible in what that looks like. Currently I have mentors. I have people in different areas. Like I'll identify the areas that I'm weak in or I need to grow in or provide a massive opportunity for me and I will seek out the best that I can find 
and I'll do whatever I can to establish a relationship. If that's paying them or, you know, doing something for them or just being there, whatever. And then I'll ask a million questions. I don't think there's any, I think there's a, a thousand ways to learn. I think the best way to learn in this game is to find people with lived experience and just suck it out of them. Just get it by osmosis of asking questions and being around them. I think that's the number one thing that's really influenced me and my my aptitude for for growth and learning outside of that um i'm constantly reading i read a lot of books i'm here in dubai on vacation for a week i brought two books with me i will read both books this week while i'm here what are books reading um i'm going back through a business book i've read it like four times uh called traction yeah yeah, that's amazing gina wickman Uh, gina Gina wickman um and then i read uh, my friend Alex Ramosi, love yeah, Alex. Yeah. I read his first book, which was Hundred Million Dollar Offers, and I've been sitting on the second book, Hundred Million Dollar Leads, okay. uh, and everyone loves it. And so I brought both of those. The reason I traction EOS, you know, the the systems of scale and structure for a business, implementing that. I have a startup company that turns one year old tomorrow, actually. Uh, and it's a startup. And so I have to go, I had like EOS type systems in my former business. That's, you know, org chart, chain of command, meeting cadence, KPIs, you know, goals, plan. I had all that stuff. You have to, to have a business that's doing 50 plus million a year with 325 employees or it's complete chaos, which it was chaos. Then we implemented those things and then it was blew up in scale. And so now I'm, I'm refreshing myself going back through this book to bring it to the top of mind. Uh, and now when I get back to America, just an example of like execution, right? I'm, I'm here, I'm doing this with you. I had a meetup this morning. I have, I'll be networking with entrepreneurs tonight. Like it, it just never stops. I get back to America. I have five days to catch up with my businesses and my children. And then I'm up in the great state of Ohio, buried in snow and the cold in, in January, uh, boots on the ground, you know, operating one of my companies. And I'll be up there for four days um, implementing what I'm reading today, right? Like I'm literally going there because it's time to put these, you can't, it's time to put this structure in that business. Would you say one of the strategies you do, and I hear a lot of people like Alex Moses, he talks about this a lot in terms of like, only rereading a certain books rather than going to go find another book. Is that something you almost do? Depending on what problem no, you're trying to solve. Yes, I do both. Yeah. I read a lot of new books. I love interesting perspectives. I, I am, you know, flexible enough to read books that I don't entirely agree with. I'll take what I, you know, I've gained gold nuggets from mm. books that maybe I disagreed with half of it or just didn't think it applied to me or whatever. Uh, and so I'm constantly reading new material, but there is a handful of books that I like love. Traction's one of them. Uh, I really love that EOS system. I think it's unbelievable to implement into businesses that are at a critical stage of scale and growth. You know, when I, in 2000, I'll give you an example of that and why I believe in this so much. If you go back in time to 2017, 2018, my business is doing 20 something million a year. I have a nice company. Uh, You know, I am making plenty of money, right? It's thrown off. God, I don't know, back then, probably four or five million dollars a year, which is a nice salary, mm. right? You make a four or five million dollars a year, you're, you're eating whatever steak you mm. want, doing, Do whatever whatever you want. You, doing whatever you want with four or five million a year. But I have, I have 17, 18, 19 direct reports. 
the entire business rolls to me. If I get hit by a bus on a Monday morning, the business is dead by Tuesday. They don't know what to do. Nothing is written down. There's no process, right? Which is like documented how we do something and training people so that, you know, it exists with or without other human beings. There's no succession plan for everybody, anyone. And it's totally, I am, it's a dictatorship. And for 16 hours a day, I'm calling shots. And my ego is out of control because nobody can do this better than I can, right? I got a mentor. My mentor uh, had built a staffing company, which he then sold for more than $300 million. Uh, he had an amazing liquidity event. Since, since that time in 2017, 18, when I worked with him, now here we are almost in 2024. He's grown his capital through a family office, and now he's crossed over the line to become a billionaire. He's now a billionaire. He wasn't at the time, but now he is. And he, uh, he took me under the hood of like, Eric, you can't challenge me, right? He challenged me in all of this stuff. I didn't understand that, like, I just hadn't connected the dots that businesses could run without me. Mm. And so I started, to, he made me read the book and started helping me implement, you know, all of these things from 2000. I'll say 2018, 19 was really the, the time of execution of the information, execution and implementation. By 2020, 2021, I went from $25 million in top line revenue to 55, like that. And do you put that all down to just implementing that? Yeah, because we scaled and grew and found efficiencies and processes. And not only did I, did the revenue just have hockey stick growth, but what also happened was because because when I had when I was doing twenty five million dollars a year making four or five I had plenty of money I had financial freedom I could buy whatever I wanted there wasn't a car that I didn't buy if I wanted it there wasn't a you know a steak a restaurant that I couldn't go to I had no freedom of time I had no lifestyle you know my my oldest my youngest wasn't born yet my oldest son was young and and it pained me that so frequently like he's like dad daddy 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 and I'm like hang on son hang on like i'm like stuck i'm glued right I'm a, I'm a prisoner i'm a slave and at a certain point in that i'm like i have so much money and i love this business but i hate this like i have no life At the point you got like golden handcuffs right yeah go i love that saying golden handcuffs and so through the next few years it went from from being non-stop i could not not show up for an hour to Things ran without me. For the last year that I owned the business, I stepped down as CEO, stepped to executive chairman, and the only involvement that I had was a once-a-month board meeting. Reviewed KPIs, reviewed progress, did all this stuff. And so it went from complete chaos to making more money than I've ever made and being come totally uninvolved from the business, just an advisor to the CEO. And I would step in here and there and watch KPI dashboards and give advice when it came up and go to a board meeting once a month. And that was the power. And so when I'd say like, I'm passionate mm. about it and I'm reading the book again, it totally changed my life. And if that information I never received how to bring a business to the next level, like you look at Apple, Apple's obviously Apple, Steve Jobs been dead a long time. Your business is supposed to be a legacy. You're supposed to build something that outlives you. It's supposed to be something that you leave behind on this planet. If you take it all the way to the top level, like Apple is Steve Jobs' legacy, right? It's performing and, and still going despite you know him having been gone for years. And so implementing all of that stuff into my business 
it totally changed my business, transformed it. I never would have had a $115 million exit. And what I didn't understand is the buyer universe looks at these things. And here's another interesting perspective is that when you go to sell your business, one of the things, it's so counterintuitive to the hustler, CEO, grinder, owner, founder, mm -hmm. entrepreneur mindset. I'm the guy. I do yeah. this. I, 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 me, 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 right? Buyers look at it, private equity, institutions, strategic businesses. The less this business needs you as the owner, the more it's worth. And so you'll actually increase the valuation through the multiple. The fact that my business didn't need me at all made it worth more. If it was totally dependent on me, two things would have happened. They would have paid me less for it, and I would have been tied to it. They would have made me roll over equity. I never would have been able to sell 100% of it. The only reason they'd let me sell 100% of it was because they believed that this business operates without me, which it did. And so it was all just very fascinating, fascinating you know, information. It's like business at a black belt level. Not a purple belt, not the blue belt, the black belt. And that's you know, the stuff that I love. It's funny timing reading uh, listening to this because it's like the exact thing I probably needed to hear today. So I know what I'm reading this afternoon. Um, in terms of like you and goal setting and stuff like that, do you set goals for like obviously 2024 tomorrow? Do you set goals for like next year? Like how yeah. do you break that process down? Yeah, I set goals. I, I you know, I, I create a vision. You can't hit a target you can't see. And so I, I have very specific goals and plans for the next, you know, 12, 24, 36 months, high level, you know, macro and micro for all of my businesses, all my initiatives. And then you, my process is this. I love to reverse engineer. And so what I mean by that is, okay, I can, anyone with their business, you could say, what do you want it to be? Well, I want to do $30 million a year. I want to make $6 million. I want a 20% margin. And that's what I want it to be. Okay, what does the business look like in that state? How many sales do you need to have? How many employees do you need to have to support those sales and support the fulfillment of that service or product? Okay, great. Now we understand what the performance looks like and we understand what the composition of that business looks like at that capture point of the vision. Now let's work our way backwards. What has to happen before you get there? What has to happen before you get there? What has to happen? And you work that process all the way to where you're at currently over a certain timeline, provided reasonable time, right? And what the, the power on that is what it does is it totally defines the target in which you're going to hit in detail, granular level detail, but you also bring it all the way back to where you're at today. What does that do? It solves the biggest problem that most entrepreneurs have is what do I do next? What like, okay, I'm, I'm going to execute, I'm going to take action, but what am I doing? Well, when I know where I'm going and I can, I can paint the vision of where I'm going and then reconstruct the road from it to where I'm at today, I know what I'm doing tomorrow and I know I'm totally in alignment with my goals and my vision. And so that's kind of an oversight of my process of how I build that out in my head. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. One of the things, um, obviously very impressive with what you've done with the size of the business you had, you mentioned over, over 300 employees. What did your hiring process look like that? Because I imagine there was some like trials and tribulations with having that many people <laughs> like, and, and yeah. like pain is knowledge really fast, right? You, you, you learn from mistakes. Um, how did you learn to bring in the right type of people into the business? Oh God, I think if you asked me what one of my largest pain points in business to date was, I would tell you hiring. I, you know, these businesses are amazing things except for the employees sometimes, right? And so that was, that was probably 
one of the hardest lessons learned. And honestly, I'm still getting better at it. And I'm still, and, and so I, I think entrepreneurs have a lot of very similar characteristics. One of them is having a big heart. And so one of the mistakes that I constantly made in hiring is I want to give somebody a chance. Mm -hmm. He could do it. I believe in him. In, in a common pattern, some of those worked out, but many of them did not. Many, many of them did not. And so when I look at it, it's like, God, I, I have to be honest with myself. I'm like, I wanted that person to be successful more than they even wanted to be successful themselves. I gave them an opportunity that was too big for them because I wanted them to be successful. And then I set them up to fail. And I have to own that. That's on me. And, and I had to like swallow that. And so when I made the pivot from hiring people that I believed in, hiring people that I liked, hiring people that I wanted to give an opportunity to, to hiring people that had the track record, the results, and the resume, having already accomplished things that I'm trying to accomplish in my business, that changed everything. That was, that was a part of that pivotal growth. One of the things that happened in those years where revenue scaled and I was able to back out of the business was I built a leadership team. And that changed everything for me. And the composition of that leadership team, every single one of those people that sat at the table that headed up their departments was unbelievably smarter than I was in their area. The chief of HR was way better at HR than I was the the head of say all of that and so hiring you know hiring for the, the people that already have the results was was incremental the other thing is is the actual interviewing and hiring process itself I think another kiss of death characteristic of entrepreneurs is we're easily excitable and so I'll meet one person have one meeting with them I'm like he's the guy I love this guy I love this guy that's him that's the person and, um, you know, that got me in trouble many, many times. And so what my process is now is no matter what, I have to fight this. That I still feel like that. That still happens to me. And, and I have to stick to the discipline of the process. Three qualified candidates at a minimum, a minimum of four uh, meetings. And so we'll have with multiple people. And so we'll, we'll do, you know, like a screening on Zoom, a second screening with my chief operating officer on Zoom, then me and my chief operating officer on Zoom, and then in person at a minimum. And we're going to do that with three candidates. And what we found is that through those multiple touch points with multiple people, it just exposes people. You, like people, they might be able to come in and knock this one out, out of the park. And I can't tell you how many times I've started the process, I'm like, I'm telling you, that's the one. And by the end of the fourth meeting, I'm like, I don't love that person anymore. And thank God we didn't hire them because I would have found these things out. But it's sticking to the discipline of that when I constantly don't want to. I constantly just want to like rush the line and fill the spot. And, and so having the discipline to, to do it no matter what has helped. Would you say, because your personality seems very similar to mine, so I like to do like, I like to implement very quickly, so I tend to jump the gun. Yeah. And uh, there's a book called uh, Working Backwards, it was about Amazon, and it talks about their hiring process, how they gained like 4,000 employees in a year, which is mental. But That's one crazy. of the big mistakes I made was I would interview someone, but like, this guy's fucking amazing. Tell everyone else he's amazing. They'd interview him, they'd already think he's amazing, because I said he's amazing. Because you influenced it. So it's like yeah. cognitive bias. So like, and then we made a royal mess with that, and that's 
you learn quickly from those mistakes and in hindsight it's a wonderful thing but i think a lot of people sometimes don't have the mileage to see that yet yeah yeah absolutely at the end of the day you know we could try to be the best that we can be at interviewing and hiring and and sourcing the best candidates but things aren't always going to go perfect. And so, you know, we have a saying, uh, it's not our saying, it's a saying that I love though, that I speak frequently in the business, which is let's hire slow and fire fast, yeah. you know? And so it, 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 if you have the stomach to be able to pivot quickly, it, it matters less. Would you say you've ever had someone start badly who's finished well, if that makes sense? Say that again? Someone who's like started badly, so they came to you, did a shit job at the beginning and then they turned it around. Because from my experience, I've never seen that happen. If someone's bad at the gate, like they got, like it doesn't work. That's a fire fast situation. Yeah, yeah. And but again, the the easily excitable nature of the entrepreneur. I just want to. I'm like, give him a chance. Give him yeah. a chance. Yeah, give him yeah. a chance. Give him a chance. And I, you just keep getting more and more pregnant with this person like in your business. Involved, right? And yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you compromise your core principles and your core values of like excellence and greatness. And that's one of the things that I've had in, you know, for consideration as I move into 2024. It's like, where are the areas that I've compromised excellence in my organizations? Where have I settled for less, right? And every time I've ever settled for less than excellence, I've regretted it at some point. And so I'm making that pivot to the discipline. Would you, because I'm thinking about my own businesses, would you say deep down as entrepreneurs, we all know where the, like, the skeletons are in the closet are the things we've just been like, mm, it's not that bad. Th mm -hmm. Those are probably the things that are probably holding most businesses back. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, one thing that I think is a huge thing is obviously people run businesses and the more successful you are as a person and your own mindset and the way you run your day is going to define your outcomes. How do you like run your own day in terms of your routine? Like what time do you get up? What time do you go to bed? Do you get up like crazy early like Wes does? Like what's <laughs> no. you know, the fucking 2.33 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I bust Wes's balls all the time. I'm like, Wes, I'm too rich to be waking up that early. <laughs> like what are you talking about? I wake up at 6.37. Okay. And, like uh, which, yeah, which is a normal time to wake up. I get up and um, I will tell you the first thing that I do, you know, I love people that are like, I get up, I don't look at my phone, I exercise for two hours, I get up at four in the morning, I read three pages out of a book, I meditate, I, I do all these things. That is not what I do. I wake up, I grab my cell phone, and I walk to the bathroom to take a piss. And while I'm pissing, I'm looking at all the messages that I, like, it's zero to 110 miles an hour the second that I open my eyes. Um, and I'm setting the day up. I'm responding to anything that I missed overnight. I'm, I'm, I'm on defense to incoming stuff. And I, I'm also pushing forward an offense on setting the day up, talking to my leaders, like checking in and like, we got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do this. Bop, bop, bop. And that process happens. Literally, I'm working while I'm getting ready. I'm working while I'm having breakfast. And like, I have this whole morning thing that I do that's just kind of this scrambled mess. But I love it. And it works for me. And it's worked for me forever. This has always been, there's been no structure. It's just been total chaos all at one time. And I typically get to this point where I have the day set up, things are in momentum. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I could take a little bit of time. And so one of the things that we do is we work out kind of like mid-morning. And so like I'll have several hours of work, have everything moving in the right direction. And then I'll break and I'll go to the gym. And there's a group of us entrepreneurs, some of my team, uh, we go work out typically around 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. And then I come back and the rest of my day is calendared. 
And so it's in 15-minute increments. Like, I know where I'm at, what I'm doing. The morning is chaos. But once I come back from that workout, rinse off and put some clothes on, the rest of the day into nighttime is totally organized, scheduled, and efficient. If that makes sense. Ironically, mine's exactly the same. And I go to the gym at the same time, which is why I've seen the gym a couple times this week. So it's, uh, I think... Some people like the mental masturbation of doing all this stupid shit in the morning. It doesn't really make any fucking difference rather than just doing the thing. So you spoke it's, about earlier, people like business plans who like to talk about doing I it. I think it's a stu- doing Listen, it. if you want to get up and do your meditation, your ice bath, your this, your this, your that, like if that makes you happy, by all means, please do your full process. Wake up at four in the morning. Do all the, you know, the incremental things. But at some point you have to go to fucking work. Like, that's what moves the needle, is execution. And so I don't know that your ice bath makes you more effective than my 16 hours of pressure that I'm going to put on this thing all day. And so, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going from, I literally, by 6.37, my eyes are open, and, and I'm on it nonstop. That does not, I go to bed probably 11, 11.30, right? And so for whatever that is, I'm, I'm, it's, it's just nonstop, right? Like the last thing that I do before I go to bed is work. I'm sending messages. I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I have, I'm always like winding down at night and having these ideas come to me and, and things. And so I'm smashing emails and doing this and doing that. And then I, I take melatonin at night. I've done it for years. And I'll take melatonin, put my phone on, do not disturb, put my, set it down, lay down, pass out, force myself to sleep. I don't even like to sleep. I feel like it's a waste of time, but I have to do it. And, uh, and then wake up and I'm right back at them. And so like, you can, you can do all that other shit, but like, I'm going to outwork you. Like, I'm going to fucking bury you. Like, I, so I don't know, whatever floats your boat, but this is what's worked for me. I have the track record and the results, the support that like this works. Like you can't argue with me about it, you know? I agree hundred percent. And at some point it's a volume game. And when you've got volume and leverage of you having a big team, it's like you're gonna win. And that's where most people just don't understand that. Yep. It's really simple. Yeah. It's just work. You know what I mean? People overlook like the It's just about work. Like there's so much there's so much glamour. We were talking about this earlier about how they glamorize entrepreneurship and all these things that come with it. And like, you know, now they're fasting and ice bathing and you know and, and all this stuff. Like, what worked for me was just getting up and just throwing punches all day long, and not stopping. You know, nights, weekends, holidays, all of it. It's uh, take a few big swings and you hit a few home runs, right? Yeah, that's it. It's I, uh, I think that's the secret. You mentioned earlier, obviously, uh, you were a father. How did that change your life in terms of like perspective and maybe even in terms of business? My dad? Yeah. My dad owned a small uh, tree removal and excavation company. And so he cut, you know, we cut, tree, pe- we cut trees down in people's yards, made the yards bigger. Uh, we would clear land and put in foundations to build homes and do the site work for that stuff. And so he was a small business owner. He... It was it. So I learned the core principles of structuring a deal, of entrepreneurship, of business, of sales. Like when my father, my childhood, I, I used to hate it, but I'm so grateful for it now. Was every single evening, my dad would need to do estimates, and this a long time ago, obviously. But we, you know, he would come home from working all day long. He would press play on the the uh, 
oh, the answering machine. Yeah. This, you know, Voicemail. This is when I was a little kid. And, uh, and he would listen to, to all of them. He would take notes. He would call people back, and he would set appointments to go do estimates. And so I would ride along in the front seat with him at four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old as he went, drove up to people's homes, met them, bid the work, sold them. And it just so it taught me the core principles. When I started building my own business, though, I realized that in order for me to ever get farther, further than my father took it, my dad was always the guy in the machine. He was the guy running the chainsaw. He was like a shopkeeper. Mm. Like, he ran a business, but he honestly owned a job. He had to go to work every day. If he didn't show up for a day's work, nothing happened because he was the business. And and so he taught me so much but took me so far that at a certain point, I had to find mentorship of, of people that had businesses that had grown incrementally larger than the one that he had. And you know, and take it to the next level that way. But, you know, the early childhood education that my father gave me was invaluable. Like, it was priceless. You never really realized at the time that things of your childhood, if it hadn't happened, wouldn't make you who you are. 100%, yeah. My father didn't give me anything. Like, I remember I was six years old and I wanted a pet snake, like a little ball python, you know, the stupid little snakes. And there was one at the pet store, and he had me stacking firewood. I was like six or seven years old. I had to work all summer long to make eighty dollars. The pet store had this special for like a you know a glass tank and a heater and the snake. It's like eighty bucks, and like at that young of age, I was working to get what I wanted, and I hated it. Like I saw the kids in the neighborhood; they wanted a snake, and their dad would come back, you know, in their white collared shirt, driving their BMW from their corporate job. And sure, Johnny, you know, here's the money. The kid would just have a freaking snake, and I'm over here like lugging logs around at seven years old, like stacking these things, sweating, dying. Like, God, this sucks. I just want the snake. You know? <laughs> but I'm, I look back and I'm like, it made me hungry. It made me still to this day like I have more than I ever thought I would by multiples, and you know anyone else ever thought I would for sure. And and one of the things that the characteristics that I relate, I tie tie directly to that piece of my childhood that I'm so grateful for is I wake up every morning despite how much I have in the bank or how many assets I have under management, hungry as fuck. I feel hungry and I feel poor and I feel broke and I have to get at it. And I don't think a billion dollars changes that in me. I think that's just an emotional foundation for my childhood that was instilled in me and that I'll probably grind and work until the day I'm dead. And that's so different than other people because sometimes the success, a little bit of success ruins people. Mm. They have a little bit of win. They, you know, they, they have a little bit of money. Like I'm 38. I'll be 39 years old in a couple months, March 1st. And I made my first million dollars, had a million dollars cash at 26 years old. Like, you know, and I still felt poor then. And so, would you say you swapped a negative addiction for positive addiction with that? A hundred percent. I don't do anything less than one hundred and ten percent. I'm all in, and so you know, yes. Which I don't think there's anything wrong. No, I think with. it's a fucking good thing. But I think this yeah. is the problem with the world. Everyone's like, oh, you fucking work too much. You're fucking obsessed. You like, you you yeah, put too much into mind your fucking business. Yeah, How about like, that? <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like if anyone who's really fucking good at anything has to be obsessed. Yeah, and super dedicated. Uh, it has to be an obsession. It has to be super dedicated. And I don't want to do anything else. Mm. What they don't understand in those very ignorant statements is you, where they're coming from is you think working is a bad thing because you suffer while you're doing it. You don't enjoy what you're doing because you settled for less. I 
am happiest in my element. I love doing what I'm doing. And so why would I want to do anything else? Like going to sit on a beach somewhere or I'm in Dubai. I'm here with you. Mm, yeah. I, hey, we saw each other too yeah, this yeah, morning. Yeah. I hosted a meetup. Like I, I have not stopped working. I'm not going to because I love it. Why would I want to do anything else? Why would I want to do anything I don't love? I don't love sitting around and not being productive. I love having a mission and getting it done and, and achieving accomplishment. That's what brings me happiness. And so who the fuck are you to tell me not to do that? You know? I'll give you an example. Even my girlfriend said to me on Christmas Day at like 8 a.m. It's like, you, you can go do some work for an hour or something if you want because she knows that's like what I actually want to yeah. do and like fulfills me. So I did. But like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the reality of what gives me like passion and pleasure and excites me. It's like building shit and doing stuff. Yeah. Which I think people think is fucking weird. It, well, but that's what I like. Those people aren't our people. I yeah, don't yeah. think it's weird. <laughs> what I did on Christmas Eve and Christmas was, you know, I knew that the silence, you know, it's at a certain point, like, you have to leave your team alone, mm. right? Like, they have families, they have children, they have... You can't be spamming them. And, yeah. yeah, like, I'm going to, all right, all right, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, I got to leave these people alone. God, this is painful. And so I actually ran uh, promotional sales on my Instagram and started events. And I don't, I don't remember how much it did, but I, I think I got, like, over Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I sold, like, $100,000 in tickets to events. Uh, but it kept me active. I was like engaging with people. Yeah. It wasn't even about the hundred thousand dollars. I couldn't care less. It was about like I was selling. I was hunting. I was, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. And so it was just it was fun, and it made the time pass a little better. Do you find Christmas and the holidays with your entrepreneurial drive sometimes a bit of a difficult thing in terms of like? It's painful. I, I find it. I find it difficult because it feels like the world is trying to slow me down, but mm -hmm. I'm trying to accelerate and want to go faster. It's like, you know, the holidays um, are very painful. The the you know, Sundays, Sunday mm. evenings, right? Like you got to give these people a little time to relax, you know, your team and all of that. And so like Sundays are typically like, I'm just waiting for Monday morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, this sucks. Like it's the hard people love Sundays and you know, and not me, it's the quiet times are very difficult for me to get through. And so I try to build things around those and, and make production, you know, make the time useful. One of the things you clearly have, Eric, is a credible network. How have you built that and has had maybe moving to Miami helped that? It, moving to Miami helped. Um, one of the things I, I, I coach people on all the time is getting in the room. Like, you have to show up. People, it's, it's, it's crazy where people are like, Eric, you have an amazing network. How do I do that? And I'm like, you don't leave your fucking house. You're not going to meet people on your couch. And so you have to get out and move around, shake hands, look people in the whites of their eyes. I'm Eric Spofford. It's mm -hmm. nice to meet you. Follow-up game, you know. And then it's it's putting yourself in the right situations to be able to shake the hands and make the, the introductions. But then it's how you approach those relationships. One of the things that I see that people do that's an absolute kiss of death in networking is they have a, what I call a wimp mindset, which means what's in it for me. They approach like, I'll meet anyone. Like, I'm very accessible. I just had a meet up with a bunch of people from the internet that I don't know. It's how you approach people. If you approach with, Eric, do you know what you could do for me? <laughs> yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> like, yes, I do. But it's it's not, it, it, it's, it's transactional, not relational. Mm. And so approaching people to be their friend and approaching them with authenticity. And when I meet someone, I'm like, what can I do for you? How can I help this person? How can I build value? For two reasons. One, it genuinely brings me a lot of joy to be able to like bring value to other people. 
And two, I know that the fastest path to secure a very deep and authentic relationship with you is if I can help you. If there's someone you need to meet, if there's information I have that you need, if there's an introduction I can make, if there's what, a resource that I have that you could benefit from, if I can give you some of my time and my, my expertise of where I've been that might be able to help you in your journey, it's, it's, you know, it's all about a balance sheet. Now I've created, like I've put a credit on the balance sheet of our relationship and it just cements things further, you know? And so it's really getting in the room, um, networking with people, uh, and then also how you approach those relationships is huge. And with that strategy, I've developed an unbelievable network, which is, it, people think that like my net worth or, or all of that is, the most valuable thing that I have, it's not. It's my Rolodex. Like, I it can solve any problem by picking up my cell phone, you know? And so it's worked for me. And that's when you put yourself in a position where you can't fail. Because if you lost everything tomorrow, it's like you already have the skills and then you've got the fucking contacts. Like 100%. Within a month, you would be back fucking rolling. Yep. Yep. In terms of you coming to Dubai, has this broken any limiting beliefs or change of perspective or anything here? It's very different from the rest of the world. Yes and yes and no. Um, I live in Miami, and so it's very similar, similar right? It's it's uh, and but it's it's a different. Just being in the Middle East, being in another part of the world, seeing the culture, seeing the people, meeting the small amount of people that I've met, you know, since I've been here, yourself and mm -hmm. others, um, and just seeing what's happening here, it's just so inspiring. You know what I mean? It's like. God, you know, please, for the love of God, get out of your hometown. Fucking leave. Your hometown is a set of handcuffs that you're wearing that's holding you back. I have never met anyone that has made it to a level that they want to reach staying in their hometown. And so coming to Dubai is the exact opposite of that, right? Living in Miami is the exact opposite of that. Putting yourself in these environments where like, dude, I've made a lot of money. Like I have a, a significant balance sheet. I feel fucking poor here. You know what I mean? Imagine like, how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're looking at this shit, you're like, damn, you know? And so it's just inspiring. It really is. It, it's creative. And then I think that just traveling in general, getting out of your day-to-day -day routine, even if you live in Dubai, leaving Dubai, because you live here, becomes normalized, or you live in Miami, leaving Miami and coming to Dubai, for something in that process happens for me where I've always had my best ideas, my best aha moments, my best light bulbs, because I'm able to... to break out and look back with a new perspective. And so I'm, certainly some of that's happening for me. I'm like, and one thing that happens to me in every trip that I've ever taken, I get to about the halfway point and I've had so many of those aha moments and I'm like, oh, when I get back, I'm doing yeah. this. And when I get back, I'm doing that. And when I get back, I'm doing this other thing that halfway through, I'm like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> like I'm ready to get back and kick ass. And so I'm about halfway through my trip now. Finally got adjusted to the time zone change. That kicked my ass. Uh, but fully inspired to go back and tackle 2024 and execute. And so I think that there's just something special and magical that happens in all of that. I don't even find the same, but I find a lot of time on the plane, I have some of creative thoughts because I've got nothing to do. And yeah. I try not to connect to the internet so I can like, it's like yep. free space as a thing can just let your mind, when you look out the, look out the window, looking over the world, it's like 100%. wild in terms of where your brain starts going. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, it seems it, the, the delusion, the broken belief system that I've had for a long time that I struggled with and I still struggle with is that I don't have time for these trips. 
And the truth is, like, I don't, I don't have time to not take these trips. They always provide me so much inspiration, so much creativity, so many great ideas, so many new connections, new friends that, like, I knew that spending the money to come to Dubai was going to pay a multiple on return, a return on investment. And I can already tell you that's true. 100%. One of the things I wanted to delve into, which I forgot to ask, was in terms of you've worked with little mentors, and that's one of the things you said, like, after learning from your father, you then found mentors mm -hmm. to teach you. Mm -hmm. What does your process look like in terms of finding and sourcing mentors? Because I found, like, the higher I go up the business ladder, like, the more difficult person. Becomes it's, a more and more. Yeah, it's like path. there's less people have the yeah. skills I'm trying to find, right? Yep. Um, honestly, God's been good to me with that, where by getting in the room and doing everything that I just talked about, it's led me to the path where I've met people where I've just intuitively known I need to learn from that guy. Mm. And then I've figured out how to do it. A lot of my mentors don't even have Facebook or Instagram. A lot of my mentors are in their 50s and 60s, well-established, have proven track results, you know, and aren't on social media. And that's honestly probably where most of them, like the most valuable ones that I have are there. Outside of that, I learned something from anyone, right? Like I certainly talk about having billionaire mentors and nine-figure mentors, and but that's a certain narrow path, right? Like back to like the humility and always being a student of the game, like, I'll just get around. I'll learn from you. Like, we spend enough time together. I'm like, Charlie, what's this? Yeah. What's that? What's this? What's that? Like, you'll have a hard time getting information yeah. out of me because I'm going to be so busy yeah. asking you questions and so bored with trying to tell you, answer yours, you know? And so just being learning from everyone at all times. But you have to meet those people. You have to interact with them. And so getting on the plane, going to the event, masterminds and events are huge, right? Like just going to paid events and getting in those rooms, the expensive ones especially. Like you go to a mastermind that costs 5, 10, 15, 20 grand, whatever it is, you're with other people that wrote that check too. That's one of the reasons, right? Like I have events... My, my low ticket event right now is $1,000. You can come for six hours, 10 to four, and I will give you a masterclass on, we do one for business, I do one for real estate, and I do one for social media. Those are the three areas I make a lot of money in. And so I consider myself an expert in those three verticals of business, and so I teach those events. I also have a mastermind that costs $15,000. I will tell you, they are two entirely different crowds. And so people want to cheap out and come to the $1,000 crowd. I'm like, that's cool. Like, you're going to get the same information, kind of. Uh, but you're going to be in the room with a bunch of other $1,000 people. You come to the $15,000 event, it's, it, the room is powerful. It really is. Yeah, it makes a big difference. I think that's where a lot of people don't understand the power of being in a network of people who are crushing it because you just see how other people, like, behave. And also, if you, I think if you see someone in the flesh who's like, that guy's killing it, he's just a normal person, mm -hmm. then I can fucking do it too. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it demystifies. Mm. De yeah, it certainly it pulls the the cloak down, and they're like, "Oh, like this is totally achievable." Mm. That's just a dude. Yeah. You mentioned social media is one of your big businesses. What do you think is your plan with that in twenty twenty four, and how are you utilizing that? Um, continuing to grow my brand, continuing in in you know content creation and distribution across all channels. Um, you know, attention is the commodity. And then there's a lot of different, and so continuing to build an attention, more and more eyeballs, right? That's a strategy every day is, I love what Gary Vaynerchuk says, day yeah. trading attention, right? I, I'm, I love that, you know? 
Uh, and so continuing to day trade attention, but then also having the different ways that we monetize it. And that's through coaching, information, and events. And so just building and expanding upon that. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time today, Eric. It's a um, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Where's the best place for people to find more about you? Instagram. That's my native platform. I'm everywhere, but you want to find me, Instagram is the best place. It's just at Eric Spofford. Easy. Awesome. We'll drop the link below. Um, for anyone who's looking to blow up their fitness business as well, we have a huge mastermind event. We talked about the importance of masterminds here in Dubai, February 9th and 10th on the Palm. So we'll put a link below for that for you guys to sign up. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you subscribe, share it with a friend, and we'll see you next episode soon.